Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today. From Freedom HealthWorks, it's Healthcare Americana, a show about innovators, idealists, and pioneers in healthcare. These are their stories. I am your host, Christopher Heaton. Let me ask you this. Are physicians addicted to salary? Now, amongst a group of professionals, many stereotypes exist, and they always do, and that transcends industries. But this is definitely true for physicians. If anybody talks with a doctor or someone that works day in, day out with doctors, they usually say the same thing about them. They're not good at business. They're brilliant people, but very controlling, very risk averse, can't handle uncertainty, but super dependable in emergencies. I definitely think a lot of these statements are contradictory, which is why, of course, there are stereotypes. But something about this particular question struck me. Can someone even be addicted to a salary, to receiving a steady paycheck? Can a person feel so at peace and secure receiving a paycheck every couple of weeks that they no longer entertain controlling their income, their lives, or their professional practice? Can the best and brightest in our communities, the ones taking the Hippocratic Oath to help people, Can they be so blinded and dependent on a salary that they put up with atrocious or abusive work conditions? We often hear people talk about burnout amongst physicians and employed scenarios. Maybe people just have to be pushed far enough to realize there is no security in a paycheck. It's best to take back control of their practice. And that is exactly what our guest today, Dr. Bob Rao, did in Houston. Direct primary care is definitely doable wherever you are. It has a lot of homework to be done to get started but it changes one's life, it changes one's perspective on medicine. Because of this clinic, I'm very connected to my community. It's a great feeling and I never felt like that as a as an employed physician because someone else would send me the patients, I would see them send them away. But now I have a real relationship with my patients and it's a very replaceable aspect of medicine. Dr. Rao, how do you define direct primary care? Just as the name suggests, uh, it's a direct relationship between a physician and physician's patients uh, without a third party dictating the terms and rules of uh, the relationship. So relationship basically means access um, and uh, time with the physician. Yeah, I always like to ask that question because it means a little bit something to different people. especially with the past couple of years where that term has become very, very prevalent, obviously separating itself from concierge care. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you hear direct patient care, uh, direct care uh, involved there, but I appreciate your take on that. So you have an interesting story. So you started your practice a couple of years ago. Before that, you were employed and then struggling from what you termed as burnout. Now, that's a pretty common term we hear out a lot, but again, you know, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So, clue us in, what were you experiencing during that time? So, it's been three years since we started Meridian Springs Primary Care, and before the three years, I was uh, working as a hospitalist uh, here at a very good hospital. Um, I really wanted to be a hospitalist when I joined, uh, that was back in 2012. And I was excited and I think it was just a year after my residency, I was out to get more experience and it was a great job. I love the aspect that I'm working with a lot of different categories of uh, caregivers, like we have specialists, we have nurses, we have, uh, you know, the, the whole range of caregivers in the hospital and the healthcare workers in the hospital. 
and also different activities of patients. You know, we have patients in the ICU to simple observation patients. It gave a very good exposure to uh, different levels of sickness uh, with patients. And it was going great for about four years um, and four years into it. You know, you start feeling the weekends, you start feeling the night calls and the, and the sleeplessness and the fatigue that sets in. And I think I was in my, uh, you know, in, in my mid-30s at that time. You know, you can tolerate sleep deprivation when you're younger and as you get older, it gets tougher and tougher. Um, and then, you know, it's a thought that can I do this? And that was the first time it occurred to me that I cannot be a hospitalist for the rest of my life. This is, this is not the way to live for the rest of my life or for the rest of my career. And soon after that, you know, you start noticing certain things that the cases become the same. Um, you have less work as a physician, as a hospitalist, because everything is already done for you in the emergency room. It's more about putting orders in. It's more about answering calls. Yes, there is some diagnosis there. There is some patient communication there, but it becomes uh, very monotonous. Then after a year after that, I realized that that there is no real spark of uh, inspiration in the work. And then it's like, you know, you want some piece of control. You want some, uh, you know, you want that inspiration so that you can develop those relationships with patients. And it was about the same time the patient satisfaction surveys started happening in the hospitals. And that was the first time I realized about, uh, yes, it is a very important part of the whole care. And uh, there are several debates on how this patient satisfaction is done. But what about my satisfaction that I should look out for? And that was the first time I actually gave it a thought about what am I doing in my career? And it wasn't essentially burnout, but the lack of that inspiration or uh, what I was getting back from the work I was doing. You mentioned that you enjoyed the breadth of experiences that you had in the hospital work and then mentioned that it started to become a little bit more mundane. Um, did, did the involvement from the administration in the hospital, um, did that ever come to bear? Because we hear that a lot when doctors talk about burnout. You know, they, they, they don't have the flexibility or the um, control over their patients to really be a physician anymore. They're just taking orders from uh, their management. Yes, there is a part of that, um, and that's a whole another issue. Um, I, ha I had not been the team leader, so I'm not entirely sure of my experience of that. It started getting worse as uh, uh, up to a couple of years until I left the hospital. Back then, it wasn't really an issue. It was not the main issue going on at that time. Yes, there was some aspect of uh, lack of communication with the patients and the patient satisfaction, and then... Uh, for some reason, the doctors get targeted with the satisfaction issue more than others, right. um, just because um, it's very vague. You know, I mean, people in the hospital have all sorts of emotions. They're mad, they're upset, they're drugged, they have pain meds or they have pain going on. It's not a pleasant situation when you can just go and talk to them and they remember what you've spoken. Uh, people have come in before me. People have people will go after me. I don't have a sole um, authority over the patient encounter. Right. Um, and I felt that was a big part of it. And then again, it is not a place where it's easy to develop a good patient relationship. And that is the first time I understood that part. Yeah, um, and you mentioned the, the relationship so side of it multiple times. And it's such mm -hmm. a powerful instrument to be able to care for somebody there. We've heard some people describe burnout as not really a workplace condition. It's more of a, almost a disease factor 
very similar to, you know, some have even said depression. I mean, do you, do you agree with that? I feel it was a lot of things put together. It was uh, this uh, lack of uh, emotional connect to the work. And uh, when your work doesn't get you the satisfaction and the happiness, and you almost forget that, then that's what happened to me. I forgot how much I loved medicine. I forgot why I chose to become a doctor. Um, I forgot those aspects that connects me as a person emotionally to my work. Mm-hmm. And when that is there, you have the 100% emotional investment by a person. Now, yeah. if that fades away, then these thoughts come into place that, okay, what I'm doing is useless. What I'm doing doesn't make an impact. And it seems like you bring that passion back in your daily life, right? You're, you got to believe in what you're doing and believe that exactly. you're having uh, the best care possible for your, your patient. So I want to fast forward a little bit, talk about um, you went out to start your own direct primary care practice. Uh, your husband was very active in it. So it's really interesting to see how DPC has become really a family endeavor and, and you guys were no different there. But um, one of the obstacles a lot of DPC physicians run into is that there's a massive lack of, I'm gonna call it education in the marketplace uh, amongst patients or you know consumers, depending what you want to call them there. They can't quite grasp that just because they have health insurance doesn't really mean that they have health care, right? They might have really what they call, what they call, quote, really great health insurance, but you ask him, well, who are you going to call when you get sick? And they're like, well, you know, I haven't seen a doctor in a while. It's a really good question. And it's like, well, <laughs> how does this disconnect yes. happen? So what are those conversations like just starting out when, when people are asking you about your practice? How did you describe your practice to them? I think it was a, it was a tough time when we started it. Uh, DPC, of course, this was three years ago, and it's actually more popular now. Uh, we were the third practice to start in Houston at that time or in the greater Houston area. Um, so it was still new. The people who knew we were starting this practice themselves did not understand what this was, uh, from a charity clinic to a walk-in, you know, cash per visit kind of clinic. Um, so they didn't understand the whole idea behind this, but there are clearly different categories of populations. We see, we see that population who is employed. And of course we are in Houston. So oil companies are the big employers here. So they have great insurance, quote unquote, because they have the best coverage possible. Yes, they have a great insurance. So we are surrounded by a lot of those people, but we are also surrounded by small business owners. There are a lot of them here. And that is the population that pays for their own health care. So they knew already. They were already in health sharing plans. So they were the first patients that we got enrolled in our practice. That's great. They exactly knew how this would work. Uh, So in the first year, it was difficult. Whenever the phone rang, I answered my own phone and there was either a person asking, do you take, uh, say, this insurance? Or there is this rare call that says like, hey, I know about DPC and I know about this model and I want to join. So for like a hundred insurance calls, we would get one call that would be like, and it would be so joyous to get that one call that, okay, this person exactly knows what we're doing. That's great. Perseverance, right? You know, it pays off in the, it, it pays off in the end there. Um, obviously, uh, it's May 2020. We're in the middle of coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic that's sweeping the, the globe. So I wanted to really focus on how direct primary care is, you know, weathering the storm and the impact that 
DPC physicians such as you have made in their local communities here. So, you know, let's start with how has COVID-19 impacted your practice these past couple of months? There has been some impact on the practice. Uh, We have had less enrollments uh, in the March and April months, not as usual. Uh, We have had a few people leave due to financial burden. We uh, have also modified a few things in our practice. We opened up telemedicine for a single visit telemedicine. The telemedicine or virtual consults for our own patients were already incorporated. Uh, You know, we use a health app to connect to all our patients. We do telemedicine visits even before the COVID hit us. And Mm -hmm. that's a part of the DPC that we had. But we opened it up to non-members too, just to increase our access to different sections of the population. Now, I also noticed that a lot of the traditional uh, insurance model clinics could not convert to telemedicine as quickly as uh, we already had the system in place. Yes, you guys were Uh, They were looking for codes, definitely. They were looking for billing codes. They were looking for reimbursement from insurance and how that works when they open up telemedicine. Mm -hmm. So a lot of calls who, people who used our one telemedicine, single visit telemedicine were actually people from other practices who said their doctors were not doing telemedicine for even refills. Wow. Wow. So yeah, you guys are definitely ahead of the curve. And and again, that's a trait of, you know, a lot of DPCs nationally that they're sitting here and and, uh, waving their hands when they see telemed and telehealth in the headlines and how some of these health companies and health systems are getting praised for implementing telehealth. And we're like, we did this five years ago. It's not that hard, guys. What's what's going on? It's taking you so long to catch up. So, So it sounds like you're still able to stay in business. You just mm-hmm. said your enrollments have slowed. So you are still getting new patients in yes. the door. I yes. This month has been good. Good. I think I saw a stat that close to 60 to 90% of fee for service physicians have been closed and have had just catastrophic months. Um, and there's really uh, no way for them to stay in business. So hopefully a lot of physicians see the light and end up going your route or DPC's route. So obviously your patients are still able to get care. Has that all gone virtually? Are people texting you? Are they calling you? Are they doing video visits? What's going on? Well, uh, we, I am seeing patients now. I think we are seeing an increased number of patient visits. Of course, I am screening them uh, for any acute symptoms for coronavirus. Uh, in Texas, patients are supposed to wear a mask when they come in and I wear a mask. And of course, we see um, non-acute visits, that is mainly blood draws, any preventative testing, um, and um, uh, anything that is not related to respiratory problems. We are still doing only phone visits for respiratory problems. In March, we were closed. We were not seeing anyone. April, um, probably mid-April, just a few, depending on the screening, depending on somebody who is pre-screened, you know, I I would see only that maybe one or two people a week. But May, um, I think yesterday was officially like a big reopening of Texas. So we are seeing definitely from last week, I'm seeing more people come in. But of course, whenever they make an appointment, we are making sure they don't have any acute infections or any kind of symptoms if they're high risk for COVID exposure. Are you getting calls from previous peers that you worked with at the hospital saying, uh, hey, your your model looks pretty good now? In fact, I had two of my colleagues visit me last year. They were also a part of the hospitalist group. And this hospital took out the private hospitalist groups and brought in their own own physicians organization. And that is when I got a few people come in and talk to me who were interested in my model. 
and they were reminiscing the days when i was learning blood draws in the hospital and answering my own phone calls like a front office person <laughs> <laughs> so that was very interesting and then they came and then they're like okay now we know what you're doing and we want to start our own clinics so i think that plan was delayed a bit by the covid and probably they'll be starting their clinics the end of the year Now we talked to a lot of physicians who are asking is this the best time to start a new practice and it's like well DPC doctors are really the only ones in the healthcare industry that are uh, are still very very busy especially from the primary care level and and on up there so your clinic has been uh, a very very cool story past couple of years like we we've discussed but the activity that you're you're doing within your community and i'm trying to think the right way to put this but you're being very very active in your community during this this covid crisis um mm-hmm. donating masks um seeing frontline health workers for no charge tell us a little bit more about that and what the inspiration was before, uh, behind that um well the number one thing that hit all of us were uh, ppe we could not order ppes if you had not or, so i use i use one of the popular um, medical equipment companies so i could not order ppes unless i had ordered it before in the past now um, i think none of the single small offices have ever used a lot of ppes before so there was no way i was going to get a mask that's what i realized so uh, i got to know of a person getting the masks from the dpc community and we contacted the seller and uh, ordered masks now i asked my area doctors in the community if anyone was interested in getting masks and yes nobody had masks and everyone wanted masks depending on say suddenly they have to see patients you know everyone wanted it be it a single doctor or a big group nobody could order masks at this point and even now i think even now we cannot order masks yeah it's so hard to find so then we ordered yeah we ordered about 40 boxes of uh, um uh, th- that's about uh, 2000 masks and uh, we ordered it through this company and i got to share this with all the doctors locally some were specialists in big hospitals here nobody is given masks and that's the situation we are in today so this was a big thing yeah it's sad because the, you know you mentioned that they're specialists in working for big hospital systems we think would have near limitless resources to be able to, to to protect you know their their best assets their best people and here you are with an independent practice who you probably had a lot of naysayers when you were starting this thing up but little old practice donating masks to the big boys the big hospital system because they were just for whatever reason uh unable to help their people out and give them the right type of protective equipment. So it's a, an incredible story. And you're also taking care of anybody who um, works in healthcare that needs some yes. primary care help. Yes, we offered so we started the single telemedicine visits uh, with our practice and we uh, we announced that we could do it for free uh, for anyone who's a frontline uh, worker, health worker or fire department who who deals with who are in the front lines dealing with any exposure to coronavirus um and that was a very uh, great thing so we did a similar thing during hurricane harvey in 2018 in texas it was on similar lines that we wanted to because i realized that the most of the calls we got for the single visits are from people whose doctors could not do telemedicine or did not know how to set up telemedicine and uh, that was the big issue and these were for basic refills these were not not even for new conditions these were for their chronic medication refills 
and uh, we said why not do this for free for them because um, they are doing multiple shifts they are being exposed to the coronavirus every day as they work and they don't have time to set up these appointments with doctors so why not announce that we can do this for free for them and uh, you know it's not going to change our business model a whole lot just by offering this yeah that's great and so you know on behalf of the Houston community of of uh healthcare workers down there. Big thanks to you for doing that. Hopefully it's a model that other physicians are able to, to, uh, to repeat around the country. When we were talking, you had a, a really interesting quote, and, and I want to make sure we talk about this here as our, our last little segment here. But, you, you know, when you, we were asked, why don't more physicians go the direct care route? Your response was a lot of physicians suffer from an addiction to a salary. And that kind of struck me because I was like, you know what, that is, a, that is a brilliant take on what we hear a lot of why people don't want to or can't weather the uncertainty to go the direct care route. So, wanted to see exactly, you know, what your experience was behind saying something like that, that employed physicians suffer from addiction to salary. The culture has been that as you get out of medical school, you get to, you sign up for jobs with big salaries. Uh, they pay your loan. They pay uh, initial sign-on bonus. So basically, everyone is inculcated into this model where you finish as you finish residency, you sign up with one of these, and then you can get a big house, a big car, and then of course you have your medical school debts, but still the big salaries is a big, of course, big attraction. And that's how these big organizations, the corporate medical world attracts doctors to get into their system. And it takes about two, three years to realize that you have limited paid time off. You cannot take a vacation. You just cannot schedule your patients as you want them to. And you have two, three patients on the clock, uh, you know, double booked, triple booked at the same time. And you don't have control over that. It takes about two, three years for people to realize that. And then they're used to the salary, they're used to the lifestyle. And then, yes, the feeling comes in. And that's when the burnout sets in probably. So that's a very common scenario. I mean, when I joined a hospitalist job, it looked very attractive. It looked like the work was not much. It looked like it was uh, very flexible. And it was. It was to a certain extent. But now the scene has changed a lot. Given the hospital involvement, the hospital control of physicians, and right. trying to have physician organizations instead of private practice. Right. And they look at, and a lot of people look at a paycheck or a salary as a safety net. You know, they look at that as the less risky decision when yes. they could be fired tomorrow. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they signed a five-year, 10-year contract, whatever that is. There's no job security with a paycheck. The only job security is like you earning your own income, making your own practice. Because I guarantee you, you're going to be able to draw money out of your practice uh, tomorrow. And it's not going to be up to somebody whether you're able to return to work the next day. For physicians who are you know, listening, who are thinking about the direct care route, but are telling themselves, you know, I just can't do it right, right now. I'm not there financially or my family's not there, but I want to do it. What do you say to them? Direct primary care is definitely doable wherever you are. And it is about a mindset. It is about educating yourself. It is a slow start. It's not something that you would blindly jump into. So there is a method to that, probably six months to a year of uh, planning and uh, financial planning and business planning to go into the direct primary care. But it, it is doable. Saying that it has a lot of homework to be done to get started, but it's very doable. And it is something that 
you know, it changes one's life. It changes one's perspective on medicine. And I think the business side of it is what is very interesting. I think at some point we all know to see patients. We love to see patients. But as doctors, we have a poorer knowledge in the business aspect of it. And this forces you to learn more, to educate yourself. And because of this clinic, I'm very connected to my community. I'm connected to the small businesses around me. And it's a great feeling. I never felt like that as an as a employed physician because someone else would send me the patients. I would see them send them away. I did not have to get my own patients. But now I have a real relationship with my patients. And it's a very replaceable aspect of medicine. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you learned a lot of new skills along the way that you probably thought you'd never be uh, using. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, we add a lot of value um, and try to add as many services as possible in the direct primary care clinic other than just the classic primary care. That's great. That's right. Well, Dr. Bhavna Rao of Meridian Springs Primary Care down in Houston, Texas. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We wish you the best of luck here and keep taking care of all your patients in your community. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having us on this podcast. It's been great talking to you. Healthcare Americana is powered by Freedom HealthWorks, managed by Melissa Turpin, produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Send us your thoughts at info at healthcareamericana.com. I'm Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. And hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know that too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.